0: Hello and welcome to Integral Health Resources, the podcast. Um, I know that it's been a ridiculously long period of time since I posted a podcast, but um, once again, I am finishing uh, graduate school here. This is my final semester, and this always happens once the semester gets rolling. I just uh, lose momentum and just really don't have time to do some of these fun things, but um, so since the last time I posted a podcast, of course I've been um, you know reading things and and thinking about various things, and one of the problems is, is when you wait this long to uh, to sort of post your your reactions, um, everything gets kind of jumbled. So I don't really know how coherent this particular podcast is going to be. Um, or how coherent any of the other ones have been. But um, I will say, um, aside from uh, basically enjoying my final semester here as a graduate student in mental health counseling, finishing up my internship hours, I do find time to continue to read articles and um, think about some of the things I'm interested in this general uh, arena of, what I'm calling integral health, but there's been a, a focus on mental health issues. Of course, that's my chosen profession here. And lately, some of you may have seen as I redesigned my website. I didn't redesign it, but I just sort of re—I you know, edited it, basically um, changed the focus a little bit, which I do every now and again to sort of reflect my current interests. But it seems if you follow my Twitter feed or um, have listened to any of these uh, podcast episodes as of late? There's a, a very what some would call an anti-psychiatry bent that's been creeping in, um, or maybe just been blatantly there. Um, I chafe a little bit at that label. I'm I'm not want, I'm not a fan of that term anti-psychiatry for a lot of reasons. Um, first of all, I'm not anti-psychiatry. I have worked in psychiatric facilities and worked with lots of people that have been diagnosed with psychiatric disorders, and I'm certainly not one who just reflexively rejects the entire field or thinks that medication is bad for everybody, that kind of thing. Um, and maybe that's a simplification of what you know the anti-psychiatry movement is about, but um, yeah, I don't identify as an as an anti-psychiatry person. In the same way that, you know, I'm not a, a religious person and I don't identify with the term atheist. Uh, it's just something about identifying with a label that's against something else or, I don't know, it just doesn't really make sense to me. And, you know, like I mentioned, my my previous uh, professional experience just tells me that it's it's too simplistic to you know, be against, um, say, uh, psychotropic medication across the board or against psychiatry across the board. Um, Really, where I stand on a lot of this is probably best articulated by Alan Francis, who's the former chair of the DSM-IV. He's really an establishment psychiatrist who's retired now. And in his retirement, he's really decided to uh, be sort of a reformist and has been taking on what he sees as uh, difficulties in psychiatry and trying to uh, sort of um, correct those problems with his his perspective. And I, I have a lot of respect uh, for this guy. And most of the stuff that he's been writing about in his retirement, I agree with, um, you know, 100%. And uh, some of his latest stuff uh, is really particularly fascinating to me. So, for instance, there was some recent guidelines that have been put out. Um, I guess the, the U.S. Prevention Task Force is maybe the official agency that's, that proposed some a uh, new uh, depression screening policy. And it basically says that, you know, uh, primary care doctors should be screening everybody. So all adults and adolescents should have routine depression screening as just part of, you know, every visit to the doctor. And it kind of seems like a no-brainer. I mean, you know, the proponents of this are saying, hey, you know, a lot of people are depressed and it's a lot of people don't know they're depressed or it's or too afraid to sort of report it and depression is such a horrible uh thing that if we just screened everybody for it then we'd be getting people treated who need it and all the negative uh, effects on individuals and on society of depression would uh would go down if we could detect it early that type of thing and as with screening for all things like breast cancer and uh, medical problems it seems uh, a no-brainer but then in practice sometimes there can be some pretty serious drawbacks to screening everyone and those drawbacks usually are reflective of the limitations of the screening tool um, the limitations of the training of the people doing the screening or a combination of both and how those uh, those things end up resulting in a tremendous amount of false positives, people being treated per, for depression that don't need to be treated for depression, um, and that treatment usually, especially in a medical setting, when you're dealing with you know MDS primary care doctors, if they're the ones uh, administering these screening tools and determining whether or not somebody. Uh, has or does not have depression usually the treatment of choice is some sort of medication and then there's side effects to the medication So I th- as far as I understand it uh, Alan Francis his basic um, critique of this screening um, Proposal is that it's uh, it's just going to produce a ton more people um, in this quote-unquote worried. Well category that will be labeled as depressed, given meds, and then um, so many of these people will be in that category that it's just not worth it to do the screening at all because the harmful effects, uh, specifically medication effects, uh, on people that don't really need treatment, that people that would have uh, just gotten better on their own or with some, you know, some psychotherapy or um you know just you know like i said the passage of time instead are going to be um, treated with medication and, and there's so many harmful side effects with that that overall this screening is just going to be harmful to society and what we should do according to francis is focus our efforts on the people that are severely depressed that are not being treated that currently you know are in Prisons are on the street and that we need to stop, you know, wasting our resources, diverting precious resources to overtreating um, the general population that doesn't really need it. And just focus on the people that are screaming for help out there that we're not giving help to. And so, of course, I understand both sides of the argument. I mean, again, in theory, and these are the, you know, the pro side of the screening argument always, you know, just seems to look in theory. Well, of course, you, you want to screen. You know, you're gonna you're just gonna help more people that need help. Um, but theory and practice is uh, two different things. And you know, Alan Francis, of course, he's got forty years of experience uh, in the field, and he knows uh, what can happen when something in theory goes wrong in practice. Because you know, he was the chair of the DSM four. And he saw that how if you just slightly tweak the diagnostic criteria for this or that disorder, how it can lead to, you know, millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people being uh, diagnosed one way or another or not diagnosed. So anyway, it's a, it's an interesting point, and I, I sort of uh, I sort of get it because I did work or I did one of my uh, my internships in a integrative behavioral health setting and of course as I mentioned before I've worked in hospitals and psychiatric settings and the practical reality is that um, most of the screening would be done by primary care doctors who don't have a whole lot of training in mental health and they use these um, screening tools like the PHQ2 that are just two questions um, they're very brief screeners, which they have to be, and they don't real. These screeners don't really distinguish between, you know, mild depression and severe depression. And if in the hands of somebody who's already biased toward uh, a medical model of dealing with things, again, you're going to get uh, someone who um, doesn't really quite understand the quote-unquote clinical significance of. Uh, depression, and it's just, again, if you're checking something on a brief screener, it's not going to detect that sort of clinical significance and you really need a trained mental health professional making the call here. And of course, you know, in theory, that's what would happen. I mean, these primary care docs would would just do the screening with a brief PHQ2 and then they would kick it over to a mental health specialist who does a more in-depth assessment. but um, again, that's in theory and reality that doesn't happen a lot. Uh, it's just the doctor, you know, does the screening and, and, you know, and he moves from that to a prescription, uh, really quickly. And then you get, um, these overprescribed, overtreated people. And, you know, there's so much that goes into it. You know, the pharmaceutical industry is obviously exerting its influence and the medical model in general, the the sense that, uh, depression is a, is a chemical imbalance or a, Or, you know, um, brain disease, all that stuff is going to factor into how everything shakes out. So I'm not, you know, I don't really have the personal experience to really know exactly where I stand on this. Um, Again, I don't think screening is a a bad idea. I just think that if you're doing it in the context of the, you know, uh, this this biomedical model uh, and you're letting the people, um, uh, the primary care docs sort of be the ones to do this and you're not training them uh, enough and you're giving them tools that can't really distinguish between the people that really need uh, treatment and might not need treatment. It just could be a mess. So, this, I mean, this applies to everything in our society. So many things seem like a great idea in theory and then, you know, in practice it doesn't really it doesn't really shake out. So, um, that was, uh, one of the things I've been reading about that I found kind of interesting and other, other things Francis has commented on, uh, in recent months have, have to do with, um, anti-psychotic medications and, you know, whether or not, uh, they're useful or not useful. Um, one of the things that, uh, He's definitely very concerned about, as am I, or how many children have been put on antipsychotics um, lately in, in recent years. And this is a, a major concern that I have. Um, I know kids that are on antipsychotics for behavioral problems. And I, I wrote a, a piece on this on the website um, in response to a different article about ADHD uh, where NPR basically was talking about all the adults out there that are uh, have adult ADHD that are um, again, not not being properly diagnosed and then treated. and of course, um, that comes down to meds too. and And you know, there's all this testimony about people that you know, uh, were suffering from the their lack of attentional focus and then they finally got, Uh, diagnosed with adult ADHD, and they got treated with meds, and it turned their life around. And um, the same thing applies to antipsychotics in children. I mean, you'll talk to parents that were going through hell with their kid who's having, you know, all kinds of behavioral problems and explosive anger acting out, and then they're put on an antipsychotic like Risperdal, and things get better. And so it's a really touchy conversation to have when you're trying to point out that uh, you know this might not be a good idea, or at the very least, uh, you're trying to make the parents understand that their child, even though they may have gotten better on the risperdal, uh, doesn't have a brain disease that somehow was cured by this drug, um, and. Uh, Yeah, so it's, it's, it's really, it's difficult to have these conversations. And again, Alan Francis, I think, presents a balanced view that I generally agree with. And that is, uh, you know, antipsychotic medications are definitely helpful for people in extreme circumstances, you know, people that are, you know, have problems that are really debilitating. And I've worked with these people both in hospitals and residential settings, people that, uh, you know, hear voices and are tormented by, um, psychosis and they have told me, you know, Hey Bob, if I, if I didn't have, you know, this medicine, my life would be hell. It was hell and I'm the medicine I can function and I, you know, I'm just so grateful for this, for this med. And and I completely understand that, and I've you know I've seen these people uh, come off their meds and go through absolute hell, and then do better on the medication. And I know that you know in, even in their cases there could be some pretty severe side effects to the meds, but on balance, uh, it can be worth it when you just can't function without them. But again, I don't think that that necessarily means that these people have a brain disease that's been cured or treated by the meds no one really knows how these things work. Um, it's just, it's very difficult to take someone who has a severe psychotic problem and, you know, do some psychotherapy with them or sort of uh, undo years and years and years of uh, trauma or, uh, or this or that through um, painstaking therapy. I mean, it's it's worth trying to do therapy with them, of course, and, and helping them to get more coping skills and so forth. But when you're in an absolute horrific situation in the present moment, you want relief right then and there. Sometimes it can be worth the dangers and the potential harms um, and, and giving someone a choice to use medication. And I think that applies for depression. I think there are people with uh, very severe forms of depression that... Um, you know, it's it would be crazy not to give them the option to take some medication. Um, these people could be suicidal or just experiencing just absolute um, hellish uh, depths of depression. And again, it doesn't mean that that uh, you know if you they're suffering from a uh, a deficiency of depression medication. Again, you don't really know why these things work. I mean, uh, any number of things can help a person who's suffering. And it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, the person has a brain disorder because psychological problems are very complicated. But in any event, um, the idea that the people on the severe end of the spectrum certainly need medication, um, but that fact alone doesn't justify uh, giving it to more and more and more people that are uh, sort of in the middle of the spectrum, the people that have levels of difficulties that can best be treated with either just time, watchful waiting, therapy, coping skills training. It seems that once you acknowledge that um, uh, any sort of chemical intervention can help anyone, it just opens the doors to this false narrative that um, then any psychological problem is really just a chemical imbalance and therefore chemical interventions are the best for everyone. And, and again, when you, when you have people that embrace a strict medical model for mental illness calling the shots and having the power the way doctors do, insurance companies are involved in that too, and then you have the influence of pharmaceutical industries on, on all parties. It's just, it really makes for a mess. And so it's it's hard to have these conversations. And I, and I generally feel the same way. I feel that, you know, so many people now are being diagnosed with psychiatric disorders um, that really shouldn't be and are being treated with medications that really shouldn't be while Perversely, the people that really need it, the people with the extreme problems uh, are not getting the treatment they need because they're having such a difficult time. They might be on the street, they might be so mentally ill, they can't function at all, They're homeless, um, they end up in jail, and they're often not getting um, you know, they're the most vulnerable in our population. They're not getting uh, medication or any treatment at all while, you know, an increasing percentage of kids in school are being diagnosed with ADHD and being medicated. An increasing number of kids are being diagnosed with behavior problems and put on antipsychotics, and it's just growing and growing and growing. And um, so, I guess the stand that I've been trying to make is that uh, you know we can't use this this medical model point of view to look at things. We have to have this biopsychosocial integral way of looking at things we we can have medicine or drugs or um whatever you want to call it as an available option but it makes a big difference if you're viewing that as you know curing a brain disease versus you know hey it's just you know it's expedient it's something that Uh, we're just going to use temporarily. We can't um, quite figure out what's going on here. We need some immediate help. Um, But if you believe that you're curing a disease or that you're balancing a chemical imbalance, you're not going to focus very much on the psychosocial uh, element of things, which most of the time for most people is really where you want to be focusing um, your efforts to try to help someone. So um, yeah. So anyway, it is. It's these are difficult conversations to have, especially you know, like I said, if you're talking to someone whose child was helped by risperdal, the last thing they want to hear is that it might not be a good idea because the side effects can be extreme, um, the effects on a developing brain are unknown, and maybe there are other things that um, you could try and could focus on that are going to give this. Uh, child, a long term, you know, better outcomes long term, instead of having to be on drugs, you know, for the rest of their lives, and um, and yeah, it's it's hard to have that. It's hard to have that discussion to tell uh, an adult or a parent with a child that uh, is having attentional focus problems that you know going to medication is is not necessarily uh the right way to go i mean there are many other things you can do many other things you can consider um you know people in general especially if if they get better or they're helped by something become very attached to the the world view or the um you know the point of view or the treatment that that helped them you see this with uh, AA and 12-step um Approaches to addiction. If you're somebody that is in AA and now you're not drinking, you, of course you're going to swear by it. It doesn't matter how much evidence is out there that uh, maybe it's not an effective form of treatment in general. If it worked for you, uh, that's all that kind of matters to you, and um, you know, it's understandable. So it's again, when I have these quote-unquote anti-psychiatry perspectives or these rants I'm not I'm not coming from a place of, of lacking compassion. I understand that uh, people's suffering is very real and just because I don't think addiction is a brain disease doesn't mean I don't think that uh, the suffering of addicts is not very, very real just because I don't believe that most of the kids that are being put on stimulants have, a disease or a disorder called ADHD um, doesn't mean I don't believe that you know their uh, problems with focusing attention isn't causing them trouble in school or causing their parents some uh, some real problems. Just because I don't believe a kid shouldn't be taking risperdal or uh, doesn't have a brain disease or chemical imbalance that's causing their behavioral problems, doesn't mean I don't believe the behavioral problems aren't real, that the child's suffering is not real, that the parent's suffering is not real. All that stuff is very real. But it does matter how you view these things. I mean, the truth matters. And if the truth is uh, not... um, if if the brain disease model is just false for the vast majority of people, that matters. Um, even if the treatment is the same in a given case, it matters uh, because you know a child you know could get better. Uh, a child that's having a behavior problem could get better just by uh, you know eating a pot brownie. And again, that doesn't mean that you know. Their problem was a lack of of marijuana in their system. Um, A lot of chemical interventions or physiological interventions could help any given person because, of course, everything is reflected in our physiology and in our brains. But everything we do affects our physiology and our brain structure including therapy, including coping skills development, all of that, uh, although it's more painstaking and less dramatic than a chemical intervention, all of that and will affect the structure of our nervous systems on some level eventually. And there's major, major benefits to sticking with psychosocial interventions when people have psychological difficulties. Um, because those can be enduring. Uh, those can be, you know, co- a coping skill is something a person can use for the rest of their life to deal with future problems, whereas, you know, being dependent on a medication has uh, side effects and all kinds of other drawbacks that just psychosocial interventions don't have. So we can we can make use of all the tools that are out there, but you really have to have an accurate uh, assessment of the problem and that's why you know i'm a huge proponent of this biopsychosocial model so um anyway i've been rambling about that for long enough um there's been other uh obviously interesting things i've been reading i'll I'll hopefully get a more focused podcast up at some point um Again, there's been this tendency for me to get more and more interested in uh, this sort of uh, dissenting points of view, uh, anti-authoritarian points of view in mental health. Um, And I'm going to just go with that because that's the whole point of of my website and this podcast is I'm just going to go with what what I'm interested in. Um, Obviously, if someone uh, chooses to engage with me in some way, either by contact me on Twitter, uh, which is at integral underscore health. Or if you send me an email uh, at, at um, integralhealthresources.com, bob at integralhealthresources.com, then of course I'll be happy to engage uh, with anybody who's uh, you know interested in having a reasonable dialogue about something. But right now, yeah, I'm in this phase that um, could be sort of mistaken for anti-psychiatry, although, like I said, I consider it dissenting and uh, anti-authoritarian perspectives. And I've I've found some really interesting people who are putting forth their case, and I'll probably do some some podcasts on that at some point. Uh, let's see. In personal health. News. I've been training for a half marathon with my wife, and this is uh, a big deal for me only because I just sort of had it in my head that I I couldn't really do running. I've had a lot of injuries. I've had four bad knee injuries, three surgeries, and as a result of that, I just sort of had this attitude like, oh, you know, I I just running is is just gonna hurt me or I can't do it, and then uh, I just caught myself um in that mode and then I just realized well how do I know that's true I mean never really never tried to do any major running and so as an experiment I just uh had my wife uh, come up with a little training program and we looked out at at this uh half marathon date that was a uh, about four months into the future and I just started giving it a shot and now here I am a about two thirds of the way through the training, I just went on a ten-mile run last weekend, and there have been no difficulties whatsoever with my knees. You I know, mean, I felt uh, great basically the entire time. So it's just—I uh, don't know—it goes to show that you know your your attitude is is obviously, you know, a pretty big deal. And of course, I maybe I would have discovered that hey, maybe running is a bad thing. You know, if I've gotten along this far and my knees were killing me and were inflamed i i would have discovered that but i wasn't even willing to try the experiment um because of my negative attitude so i'm glad that i at least decided to give it a shot and and uh and just sort of see what happens because you know i feel great i don't know if i'm gonna you know get into running long term but i'm looking forward to running this half marathon in march and let you know how that goes but uh Otherwise, I guess, yeah, that's it. I wanted to get an episode out. I'm sorry, it's been kind of scattered and all over the place, but uh, that's generally been my style so far. I mean, I one of these days I'll actually prepare uh, for a podcast, but right now this is it's just for fun. It's obviously a hobby. I don't want this to become another chore, so as long as I'm enjoying doing this, uh, I'm going to do it. And that's it. I hope uh, everybody out there is feeling good and I'll touch base with you soon, hopefully. Bye-bye.